0: Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this week's episode, Lynn Wolf, Managing Editor of Rural Lifestyle Dealer, a sister publication of Farm Equipment, visits with Mike and Kelly Estes of BTI. The six-store John Deere dealership, based in Buckland, Kansas, celebrates its 75th anniversary in 2019. Founded by Ralph Estes in 1944 as Buckland Tractor and Implement, today the business is run by the third and fourth generations of the Estes family
1: wow, that was such a devastating deal. Uh, Without the family to kind of back up and do the things that needed to be done to rebuild that dealership and, as Kelly mentioned, the community in a real sense, I I don't know that it could have been done. So I think we were really uh, blessed by that whole situation.
0: That was Mike Estes talking about how the family and the dealership recovered after the Greensburg location was hit by a devastating tornado in 2007. Before we head over to Mike and Kelly, I wanted to thank our sponsors, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading-edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. We'll jump into the conversation with Mike and Kelly, sharing the story of how Ralph Estes first got the business going 75 years ago.
1: Well, he is the CEO of the company, and I'm a senior vice president, and we've got a lot of family members, which we can talk about too, in this time frame that we have that are involved in the corporation. So, but yeah, we've been at this. This is our 75th year, so we celebrated our 75th uh, this year, and we had a great, really good celebrations at all of our stores. Then recently, we kind of celebrated with our employees with a party for being around 75 years as well. So. We're trying to uh, recognize everybody that's contributed to the success of this dealership over the years. So,
2: so how many? You, well, you obviously probably worked in dealership your whole lives. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, I did for sure. Um, the dealership actually started in 1944, mm-hmm. as Mike just said, and our grandfather started it. They actually purchased it uh, during the war years, and they didn't have any money, and they ran a dairy north of town, our grandparents did. And they they borrowed every penny to buy the dealership back then and um, started it from the ground up. There was a market downtown that had the De- John Deere dealership in it, but it was a market, like a bakery. And then they moved out here and our grandfather sold for that bakery since 1939 when they moved back and he was running the dairy, he did it part time. And he ended up uh, purchasing it with a Another local person, he didn't have the money, so they each borrowed $5,000 to purchase uh, BTI and start it, or start up BTI. The partner got scared about six months into it and decided he needed to sell it out. So granddad bought it back, the $5,000, and paid him, bought him out because he was scared because of the war. You know, they were in rations and all kinds of problems, and it didn't look any end in sight, I suppose, at the time ironically he bought him out and then our father was uh, maynard estes uh, ml estes senior was in uh, militaries in the navy a lieutenant in the navy and he came out in 46 and he bought in with uh, our granddad Mm -hmm. and uh, our granddad passed away when i was five mike would have been 12. he was 51 and dad ended up taking it at that point in 1961 and ended up uh, uh, managing it. We had two aunts, dad had two sisters that were part owners in the dealership at the time. Um, And they were our partners for Mm -hmm. many, many years. We ended up buying most of the shares out, uh, but they owned 49% when dad got sick in
2: Mm -hmm. 1987. So going well, way back, the $5,000, you said that they, mm. they borrowed $5,000. Was it just from the local bank?
3: Yes, local bank. Mm-hmm. And then
2: what was the reason to to start a dealership?
3: Basically, he had been selling downtown, so he kind of knew uh, he liked to sell and he knew how many tractors he was able to already put out there. Uh, in fact, we have pictures. The Furrow Magazine used to come out. They used to get railroad cars of... Uh, 830 tractors and actually D tractors at that time. And we have pictures of it. When he'd sell so many of them, the furrow magazine would come out and shoot a video out by the dairy out where we lived. Yeah, and we still have those pictures. In fact, they're actually framed down front behind the receptionist. Uh, they were black and white and we had them colored. And that's our granddad on one of them. And then a guy by the name of Rick, Kenneth Carlin started with our granddad as a controller and accountant. Mm-hmm. And he retired here. Uh, Red Carlin retired here in 86, about the year dad got sick in 87. Those pictures, Red Carlin's on one of those and, and we had them colored by an art studio. But those are the Furrow Magazine pictures.
2: And uh, John Deere tractors, obviously from from the beginning. Yes. Yeah, and then what? They what had mines?
3: Baldwin. They sold Baldwin Gleaner. I don't even know if it's called Gleaner at the time. I think it was Baldwin mm-hmm. combines, and a lot of them were pull type back in those days. And then of course they built the showroom down that you walked in on. I think it was in the late 50s, early 60s, wasn't it? Mine? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the original building is still up. We just built over the top of it. So in our expansion here at Buckland, that's what we've done. We've had several additions and built on. We had several shops and uh, that were old and small, so we tore those down about two years ago now and built this brand new shop here in Buckland to accommodate the newer machinery that it's so large now. You have to have a lot of equipment to handle it, cranes and different things within your shops, so or you can't service the equipment. So. Times have changed pretty radically since they built this building, but you can still see the round top out back. You can see it.
2: Well, that's great for you to to come into work and see see that kind of history. Mm-hmm. So this was the the first real dealership mm-hmm. uh, he sold. You said downtown, and then uh, so was he. Was he the salesperson, the service tech, everything?
3: Okay, so <laughs> you want to answer? Well, go ahead. Right. Our in those days, dad and granddad and Red were doing it. They were everything. They were the truck drivers. They were the salesmen. They were the pre-delivery guys. They did everything. Our grandfather's motto and Red and dad were, we service what we sell. And they had that forever until 1987 or 88 mm-hmm. when we changed it. And we didn't change it. We just added to it, you know, with our family and partnership with your family. But it's it's been a really... Uh, fun journey to to see how we've been able to evolve and grow. So,
2: And the the area at that time, was it mostly wheat
3: well,
1: It's it? dry land, yeah, wheat in our area. It still is for the most part in the Buckland area. Of course, we've expanded into other areas now. We have six stores, so we're in uh, some heavy row crop areas now. And so we've diversified a lot over the years. And like Kelly said, the way it's grown is pretty phenomenal when you see what's happened Uh, where we used to like he was talking about where dad and grandpa used to be able to do everything now we can't even possibly do everything (laughs) we have a lot a lot of people well about 200 employees now so that's that's pretty significant for us and they're very uh, specialized technical people we are we're hiring some of the brightest and the best that we can possibly get and in every department quite frankly. A technician used to be called a mechanic. No, not anymore. They're uh, electrical technicians basically. They, they have computers, iPads, phones, iPhones. I mean, they're, they're very well equipped technically and then we send them to very good training schools so they come out and they're well trained because this modern equipment is very technical now. Uh, and so it's changed the dynamics of farming radically even since we were in here just a lot
3: yeah they're they're very skilled i'd i'd put a bti employee up against anybody mm-hmm. at this point because uh, we don't have any what i'd call weak links and mm-hmm. any of our dealerships right now we're pretty blessed with a lot of good family and a lot of good people mm-hmm. so
2: well and that's an accomplishment because you have small towns that you're Trying to find employees then. <laughs> yes, so that that's you... one of the
1: biggest challenges that we do have because we are not in large metropolitan areas. The largest area we're in now is Great Bend and Pratt are two of the largest. Others are small towns, but you can imagine the town is pretty dependent on the, the businesses in the town to support it. Every every community in rural Kansas is that way. So dealerships are, are pretty important, and we understand that. That's why we love being a part of all these communities. Uh, we we find ourselves very active in that. But finding help uh, to move to rural Kansas is hard. It really is. And we've kind of found that the better way to do that, especially with the technicians, is uh, grow them up locally. If they're in the school down here or local high schools, if we can get them involved uh, with our dealership somehow to where they're interested in maybe going further into training, Uh, That's been very successful. And then on the side of the uh, hiring for administration and those kind of things, a lot of times you're looking for trained people, and our communities generally have those. Uh, If they don't, we try to provide them as much as we can to get them to come out here and take a look at Kansas or or look at rural Kansas and our small towns. So
3: it's been challenging. The dynamics of an agricultural technician has changed dramatically mm-hmm. in the last decade. Mm-hmm. It used to be, you know, that a technician was, you didn't think of it as a high paying job, but now its it outpays most uh, types of vo- vocational jobs that are out there. And it's two year program. We put 30, over 30 graduates through that program. And then now we, since, uh, give full ride scholarships, room, book, tuition, board, now they have to do is uh, used to be they had to work for us three years now it's five years and then they pay it back a year at a time and it's worked out really well they come out without any debt out of school and these technicians uh, they can start anywhere from forty five to fifty thousand dollar base salary and on up. From there and then the other reason we build these facilities that like Buckland you're seeing today or actually all of our shops and facilities are real similar is because you really can't get qualified good technicians to to stay in your communities if they don't have the right work environment to start with so we have created that atmosphere that these shops are state of the art and they're good places to work. Plus, BTI is hopefully the BTI culture uh, video that uh, is out there, and then the uh, ag tech recruitment video that's out there that uh, our marketing people, Carly, and marketing people have put together, has really created an atmosphere where used to be we had to take just about anybody that would do it now that we have done this uh, we're starting to be able to be selective we're getting some really good qualified people that want to to get an education and they do come out with associate's degree and uh, if they don't wish to do that they can go on and get a four-year degree you know that's already going towards their Mm -hmm. four-year But quite honestly, you know, we have the second class that graduated 28 years ago. We have one of those is actually worked up to our corporate service manager. And then the other one has worked up to our integrated. He's the assistant and uh, helps manage the uh, integrated solutions team. So both of those are still with us and they've been there 28 years with BTI. So that program has worked really well. And currently, I think we have 14 students going through it right now again. And our goal is to keep at least two per location going through every year. And it's a two-year program, so six months, uh, we'll get some graduates coming out, we'll have some uh, new students going in. So we always have a flow of uh, qualified ag tech students uh, that come into the dealership, plus they're played they're paid on their grade point average as they're going through school. They get paid based on how they perform. And that way when they come out, they're incentivized and they already know that they're gonna be incentivized in our dealership, because that's how we operate.
2: And these, this program, are they at the various community colleges mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. the community then? Okay.
3: because okay. So there's three now that we go to. Uh, Garden City was the original one that we used. Then there was Milford, which I think was actually before Garden City, Milford, Nebraska. And then they just put a new one about three, four years ago in Fort Scott, I believe, Kansas. We'd like to have more. I mean, to be honest, they're full most of the time. And we're trying to get John Deere or the company to look at, with technology, we think it'd be easier than the old days that they could bring in and have more uh, colleges in the central part of the state and it's easier to get those students to want to m- move closer to home than it is to go east or west or north. It's a Good program though, outstanding program. Mm-hmm.
2: And you mentioned the BTI culture a- as part of that, so you're giving them uh, the training, you're giving them incentives, but then you also back it up with um, the culture that's BTI. So what what is that? How do you make that um, apparent to them and how does that, how do the employees carry that out?
1: I think the the tagline that we have our family in partnership with your family is, says a lot about our dealership. That's what we've uh, always promoted from grandpa's days for that matter, but we really put it put it into words a few years ago and that involves everybody from the top down from Kelly to all of our management team all the way through the stores. We're trying to promote that kind of culture, a family business, we're a family business And we feel like our employees need to be treated as families, as their families. And we see it as a partnership, not just the employees, but uh, that also pertains to the customer. Uh, Our customers, we want them to feel like family. And in many cases, we've been dealing with these people for generations. And that has paid off. You know, loyalty is a key ingredient now that's missing in a lot of businesses today. We value loyalty uh, very much so. And you've got to earn that. It isn't just given to you. We have to show loyalty to our employees as well as our customers. And then that comes back to you. We feel if you give, it'll come back. And that's what we're trying to do, even within the communities, giving to our communities and supporting community activities and those kind of things are so important in small towns. You just can't overemphasize that. But it really comes back to you. And they become, they, they want to buy from you because, well, basically they kind of like you. You know, I mean, you have to be uh, liked in a sense, you know, we're not in there to be liked. We're hopefully a profitable business and that's what we designed ourselves to be. But we still have to provide some uh, some sense of security for our employees and for the community that we're going to be around to serve them for generations to come we don't want to just be here. We're the third generation. We got the fourth generation coming in. So, we expect that that's just going to continue. That's the way we've laid out the ground groundwork for our dealership in our future.
3: I think a lot of the what Mike said, the the value that you bring to the customer is something too that they remember because if you can create a value in these kind of times or you hit I mean, we've seen the 80s. You're you're talking to We're old guys, so we saw how tough it was in the 80s. And a lot of people compare now to the 80s, and there's no comparison, really. Uh, It's not a fair comparison because interest rates were 19%, and there wasn't any money. And now interest rates are 3%, and there's several trillion dollars sitting on the sidelines. But it is tough on our farmer and our customers, and their commodity prices are not what they should be, and they haven't been but I will tell you that you know if we can create a value and 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 a service uh, that not to just charge the maximum amount we can get away with but actually show them value of why BTI is the the company to do business with um, and I think we've we preach that to our people It starts at the top and it filters all the way down through uh, all of our managers and all of our people throughout from from the, the the janitor all the way to the top and and if they know we care about our customers and we care about our employees and we send that signal out daily um, it comes back. We have some of the most outstanding customers in the world and and they are generational and we're yeah. talking three and four generations that dealt with our granddads mm-hmm. and <laughs> and dads, mm, yeah. and, it, and it's fun. It's actually our business for, for Mike and I, I think it's gotten fun. It was a lot of work in the early days, uh, and, but we've got the right mix and the right people around us uh, that take care of the day-to-day, and it's really created a fun family atmosphere mm-hmm. for us.
2: Well, let's talk a little bit about the growth of the dealership. So you started here, a small shop, mm-hmm. and then, you know, what has happened over the years? What would be the, the major milestones in terms of <laughs> locations and buildings?
1: Well, probably the one of the big ones was the first step we took, which into expansion, which was Greensburg, and that was 96. December. Uh, mm-hmm. We bought that store and uh, undertook just basically managing and running that store. Um, we've had two locations for a number of years up until, really, it was 06 we bought Nest City. So, um, and then 07 the tornado hit and that changed everything pretty radically, for sure. We lost that entire store and, and uh, the equipment at that store, which was a lot of equipment. A lot of it was farmer equipment, by the way. But it was right before harvest, so it was big, big thing. Uh but a couple of weeks later we got an opportunity to talk to a dealer at Pratt and he was ready to retire and uh, spend some time with his grandkids. So uh we talked to him and we bought it, you know, and took it over in July. That sound we, right? bought on,
3: we bought it on we bought it on May the sixteenth. Tornado yep. was May 4th uh-huh. And we ended up he wanted us to take it in June, we ended up taking it over in July. July. The Nest City store that Mike was referring to mm-hmm. was actually is bought in March of 07, mm-hmm. but we had to renovate it and get it. And it actually opened May 1, the tornado yep. was May 4th. So we ended up getting Nest City open mm-hmm. May 1, tornado May 4th, mm-hmm. bought Pratt May 16th. So we mm-hmm. went from 56 people to 128 mm-hmm. in a little over a month. And it was mm-hmm. a challenge. I, we won't tell you when, mm-hmm. plus we lost community we were in not just part of a town the whole mm-hmm. town mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of challenges back then but you know what what really was interesting and what is a real blessing is from oh seven when that tornado hit to 13 agriculture took a turn for the better mm-hmm. we made more money in those years than we made the prior 20 mm-hmm. or 25 and who knew I mean it we it kind of propelled us to have to get out of the box and buy those locations. And and it could have backfired real easy, but the economy in $5 corn and, and wheat went seven bucks mm-hmm. and stayed there, you know, for a long time. So it actually, we borrowed a lot of money to get back on the map. Everybody thought insurance made mm-hmm. it. It wasn't the insurance mm-hmm. that made our money. It was the good Lord and mm-hmm. we rolled the dice. And the Estes family, that happened on a Friday. We sat here with John Deere on Saturday and Sunday, trying to determine if we were going to build Greensburg back. We didn't even know if they'd let us. And then when they told us they would, and we announced mm-hmm. it um, on the news media that Monday, that we were going to come back. You know, everybody thought that was pretty mm-hmm. pretty good, and it just kind of propelled us. And the good Lord, I mm-hmm. think blessed us. Uh, <laughs> but it, yeah. but and that's kind of what. Uh, set us in motion to keep the growth that you're talking about. And then we ended up, basically, uh, we had Pratt. And then the next one uh, available would have been uh, Hoxie. Hoxie. Mm -hmm. And Hoxie was offered to us in '15, And that's a ground-up facility. We did not buy a John Deere dealership. And it's actually the same building that we created in Greensburg on steroids. It's mm-hmm. a little bigger, but it's the same floor plan. And it's located on Highway 24 and it's 29 acres mm-hmm. west of town of a uh, brand new facility, and it's doing real well. Mm-hmm. And that was in 15. And then in 17, uh, we had been uh, waiting for other opportunities if they came available. And we were able to purchase uh, Great Bend mm-hmm. in uh, April. Mm-hmm. Is that right? January yep. is when we started, and mm-hmm. got it in April of seventeen. And that's been another great location for us, mm-hmm. uh, county seat, and it's the biggest uh, population area mm-hmm. than Pratt. Yeah.
2: So the growth has really um, been fairly methodical mm-hmm. along the way.
3: Yeah, we we actually are different, unique. I think in some respects. We have six large ag locations in 29 counties. A lot of dealerships have 13, 14 locations in 32 counties. I'd rather have our overhead in these kind of times than, you know, we don't have 500 people, we have 200 and they're the best in the business. And I think it just worked for us. Like I say, somebody's looking out after us, right Mike? Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. We try to be strategic about where we're heading, you know, uh, and there's some method to our madness when we look out there and see what we've done and why we did these particular things. Yeah, a tornado kind of threw a kink into things, but then we kind of regrouped. And the other thing we're really, uh, I think, blessed by, like Kelly said, is the fact that we had so much family involvement. If if we didn't have family, I don't think we Mm could have done all these things that we're talking about today. Uh, we got a, about nine to ten people directly involved in the, in the dealership. Our wives and uh, cousins and son-in-laws, <laughs> you name it, uh, they're all in here. And uh, Kelly's got his son Jeremy's involved in the store very heavily, and his wife Kay. So. He's a corporate sales manager, and he's also, you know, tapped to be an, a corporate leader. So I think that's exactly how we want to move forward. We're still set up in a in a fashion where we can can grow, where where it makes sense. We we don't want to just grow because we want to grow. We want to grow because there's an opportunity there that makes sense for our family, our trusts uh, that uh, is running running the family in a sense, and. Our employees because we have to consider that uh, sooner or later you run out of family so we really need to have very very good corporate employees and we do Kelly told you about a few of them that came up through the ranks we try to promote from within wherever we can really we do because they're part of the culture they know they know our systems we are very very big as a dealership on processes so we're very process driven and we have them written down, and we have them followed as much as we possibly can follow them. We have an HR director and an HR department. Uh, and so we, we try to to move this ball. As you grow, you find you need more, opportunity, more people. Uh, a marketing director, for instance, we had to have that because Kelly and I and our family can't do all that. It wasn't even our level of expertise. So we find people that, do do that very well. And that's how we're looking to build our dealership. and family's important, it's critical, it has to keep us moving, but we've got to bring more people in alongside that family to bolster it and, and uh, fill the gaps where we just can't do it.
3: We actually, uh, Mike indicated my son, mm-hmm. Jeremy Estes, and he's the corporate uh, sales manager. Mm-hmm he's hired all the managers of every location mm-hmm. he's hired the assistant managers of every location he's hired all the sales people now at all locations we've had several retire mm-hmm. that he didn't hire but and then he he oversees every deal with them he trusts them uh, he's the guy that's got to carry the load with those managers down the road so we've set that in motion, and he's the successor to Deer uh, uh-huh. as far as Deer knowing that something happens to Mike mm-hmm. or I, that's where it heads. Mm-hmm. So it's really, uh, you know, Mike said process-driven, no doubt. We've been that way since the early '80s. Uh, written business plans, financial plans. Annual plans that we get together, and and we have a semi-annual meeting with all our managers to make sure that each department is done their breakouts and they're all on the same page. Uh, I think communication is key uh, to a lot of our success, and our and the ability to do that through our our family of employees and our family, uh, immediate family that has been here quite a while, so. Mm-hmm. We couldn't do it, like Mike said. We couldn't do it without any of it. Mm-hmm. Titles, one thing, but mm-hmm. actually doing walking the walk is another. So, mm-hmm. been real rewarding.
2: The loyalty you talked about, that so it it's a kind of a built-in loyalty that you have to your family that you can you know where where they stand, their commitment to your dealership.
1: I think that's exactly right. That's mm-hmm. how we've seen it too, you know, and it's really important. As we mentioned, the Greensburg scenario. Uh, wow, that was such a devastating deal uh, without the family to kind of back up and do the things that needed to be done to rebuild that dealership and, as Kelly mentioned, the community in a real sense, um, I I don't know that it could have been done. So Mm -hmm. I think we were really uh, blessed by that whole situation, but it was extremely tough and it's kind of interesting other dealerships have been hit by tornadoes floods and things they call us <laughs> and they ask for like some kind of what did you guys do how did you do that and this so we've kind of become a resource for other disaster it- situations within it's not just green dealers i mean it could be red dealers or other other brands uh, have talked to us too so it's interesting
3: uh, we actually served on the federated advisory board uh, for a couple terms and, and during that process, they uh, they kind of made us the poster child uh, mm-hmm. for them because of the disaster, it was a national disaster and Bush came to town twice mm-hmm. and they actually, we helped develop a written disaster plan for other dealers across the country via through uh, Federated which has it out there mm-hmm. right now. Uh, it's been a, I mean, it's been an interesting process. The, the other thing is you learn from your mistakes, and you know, we did. We had insurance, but there was never enough insurance to cover that kind mm-hmm. of catastrophic loss. And we had, uh, I think, there was uh, fourteen and a half million dollars of other people's equipment. It was three weeks before harvest on our property, and we had twenty-four million dollar loss of ourselves. And there was mm-hmm. no way we could survive. And mm-hmm. if those economic times hadn't changed, so it humbles you a little bit mm-hmm. when you really see that, and then you see how many people, your companies, your peers, the other dealers that jumped on to help us uh, was phenomenal. Um, You know, it it really did uh, propel us ahead. The the actual loss, uh, the amount of money we were given went to our company for the floor plan. One thing we learned is to spread your inventories. If there's any lesson for dealers Mm -hmm. that might listen to this is to spread your inventories. We only had the two locations really at the time even though ness was Mm -hmm. just opening but we had the majority of our machinery located in that town Mm -hmm. which if we had had half of it over here at least your assets would have been more protected so we learned some Mm -hmm. value and then on that on that sunday when we were sitting trying to determine whether we were going to come back or not that was tough for us to decide because we were either going to take what money, little money, we didn't send to John Deere and, and take our assets over here and, and sell it and close out and it was discussed many mm. times that day what we should do and of course we decided to roll the dice and go the other way which was maybe we're mm. led that way but it was it's been a good process. Mm.
2: So it's interesting that you were, at that time, you had, at the time of the tornado, so you had Buckland and you had Greensburg. Mm-hmm. So was there a part of that process where you said, "I we don't want to do Nest City? Um, or could you not have backed out at that point? Well, at that point,
1: we were committed down. to Nest City. Yeah, it was so already built. It was just not opened yet. Uh, but it was, like Kelly said, opened that 1st of May. So, but then the tornado hit shortly after that. So we were committed to that. We probably weren't as committed to Pratt because we just bought that and we hadn't even taken over yet but we as Kelly said we we did a lot of soul searching on that deal and had listened to advice from deer and other people but it was in the end it was our decision to go ahead and rebuild that site and we decided it was well worth the time cuz we wanted to be as we said earlier the loyalty factor kind of kicks in And we were pretty loyal to that community. And we had some really, really, and still do, very good customers over there. And they were wanting us to rebuild. (laughs) So you you got all these things going on and swirling around in your head. Uh, And finally, we just ended on the fact that we were gonna go ahead and rebuild and try to get everybody, I mean, if you consider, we were one of the major employers in that whole town. So we knew we we needed to kind of be there if we could keep our people there. Fortunately, we did get Pratt. That was very fortunate because we could send some people over there to work. We could send some people to Buckland to work and Nest city. And we did all of that uh, so we could save our employees because the town was gone. So there was no place. They didn't even have houses. So we had to do something. And so that's kind of what we did. We did open a temporary. We pulled in a double wide uh, mobile home and Uh, that we had rented and then we put up a shop very quickly, right back on the site where we had a building setting and operated that way for two years, uh, just with a temporary facility, which is part of what these dealers ask us. What did you guys do in the meantime? Because you had no facility. Well, we put one in and uh, ended up selling the building we put up to the fire department over there at Greensburg. So they have it's now the fire station over there. But uh, we thought it was worthwhile because we bought ground on the other side of town. Uh, another a local guy had sold us some ground. Actually, it was the, the dealer that owned the dealership in the first place had that ground. We bought that off of him and rebuilt over there. Uh, we just didn't have a lot of space. Uh, we'd lost so much and there wasn't a lot of lot space left over there and we sold that facility to the hospital is what we did, that ground, we sold the ground and moved to the other side of town. That's why we moved out there. It's a, it's a lot better area and we bought some acreage so we can have some demos and things out in that area. It just made, made more sense. The I,
3: other the other thing that kind of worked in our deal of our decision making is there's another brother that's older than we are, mm-hmm. uh, Bud Estes or Maynard Estes Jr., Uh, And he was mayor and farming, and wasn't as active in the store, even though he sold and had an office here for 42 years. But he ended up volunteering that Sunday to go run the Nest City location, which made it more palatable for us to take care of of what had to happen down here with Pratt and the other. So it was kind of an overall written plan of how we were gonna proceed And luckily, like Mike said, we had the backing of the family that made sacrifices to make that happen.
2: Well, let's talk about the tornado. This was obviously, when you you use the word propel, Mm -hmm. um, it propelled your dealership, but it also propelled you personally in the national spotlight. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you give some highlights about, you know, the size of the tornado, you know, what happened with President Bush and um, also the leadership Mm -hmm. with the whole Greensburg becoming a green community.
1: Well, I would say it was it was extremely challenging. I mean, when the tornado hit on, on my side, I was in Wichita. He was here in Buckland because that's I was in Wichita for some medical tests, and so I didn't get there for about a, a day or two because you couldn't even get into town. So that's what happened. But it was uh, extremely devastating for the entire community. Just coming into that town was a, a shock, you know, and. So we, and Bush came, what'd you say? Four or five on a Friday, Friday. came on Tuesday. Yeah. And he Mm -hmm. came to town and that was the interesting part about it. It was, it's almost like a blur. It's almost like, okay, did this really happen? Are you walking with the president around on your devastated lot? And we were, but one thing that I really recall is he did ask us, what are you guys going to do? He asked that question specifically. And our response was, we're going to rebuild here because we'd already made the family decision. The the one we were talking about had already been made. Now
2: that was made on that Sunday? Yeah,
1: pretty much, yeah, it before he Sunday. came. Uh-huh. He came on Tuesday. Yeah, So we, we had could...
3: already started the business uh-huh. group, him and I had already started the business group in the community, because the chamber was there, but it wasn't real active, and, mm-hmm. and let's face it, who was there gonna be, even be a chamber? So we called all the business people, at another leader in the community, and we had uh, 116 businesses show up that, Mm -hmm. Uh, following week and determine how many were going to be there. But on President Mm -hmm. Bush, I couldn't figure out how he determined what businesses he was going to come and see, which he chose to see BTI. And his press secretary is the one that told me that she saw uh, an interview on Monday when we said we were going to come back on Neil Mm Cavado live. And she's the one that said he saw it and said he wanted to meet with us. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty neat. And then Pat Roberts and Moran and Sibelius were all in our building with us when he showed up. Yeah. So uh, we were pretty much asleep. We didn't get a lot of rest from Friday to Wednesday. And we don't, it was kind yeah. of a fog and we don't remember. <laughs> I, I'll, I remember one incident really well. Uh, we were walking on the property and he had, he wasn't supposed to touch him. They gave us all kinds of instructions and he wanted to meet our 13 families that lost their homes in the town. I mean, there was more devastation, but the ones that really lost them, which he got to do that and that was fun, take pictures of them. And he said, whatever you do, keep your hands inside your pockets. Well, he started hugging on everybody and kissing on <laughs> family. And it was pretty neat because he said, these are my people. And he told the Secret Service to back off right in front of us, which was pretty neat. But he had his arm around my, our sister, Letty, which Letty's a VP and been with us a long time. And she's our controller, our sister. And she handles all admin and all control throughout the dealerships. But she's walking with him and he looks up, she looks up at him and says, Mr. President, I can't believe you're here. And, and we were all just kind of, you know, in a daze. And he says, well, young lady, I can't believe I'm the president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was a pretty relaxing mm-hmm. atmosphere and he created that, you know, so. Um, and then he, he stood in the Contem corner of our building and told people what they were gonna do mm-hmm. to help this community, not BTI, mm-hmm this community get back on the map. And he basically followed through on every, every bit of it. And he told us, he'd been through enough disasters, he told us what to expect you know, as far as how people would react. And he said, look out, because there will be a time of anger. And believe me, that happened. So very wise, but uh, very humbling. How many, how many people could say they've met the President of the United mm-hmm. States. He came back 12 months later and asked to see uh, three couples, and Debbie, my wife, and I were one of the three that got to sit down with him on a private interview before the commencement of the high school the the next year. Or so, mm-hmm. uh, just to see how things were progressing and and how we were doing. So,
1: and he handed eighteen kids their diplomas. Yeah, he, he did handed this, them to, he, he did, did the graduation. He did a commencement yeah, speech. so it was really quite in a the
3: makeshift a gymnasium. It mm-hmm. mm-hmm. was something.
2: So this, at that time, you also helped with the, the initiative of this this green community. Is that right? With your dealership as, as a model facility?
1: Well, really what happened there, Greensburg kind of uh, got a lot of national attention uh, from, you know, all, all over the nation. But Hollywood, particularly, in, in one case, was... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio had green stuff going on and others, and it just and it ended up bringing the Discovery Channel to town. That's kind of what happened. They came to town with all their cameras and their crews, and really they wanted to watch a green community being built back from the ground up. That was the whole idea and the premise of the deal. And so it started that way and the community uh, members, the leadership of the community the mayor and those, the council, they got on board with that, that if they could rebuild to a standard of green, it could maybe bring more attention to the community. That's what they did. We, as a business in town, because we, as Kelly indicated, we were kind of heading up or helping head up a, kind of a community business initiative to get businesses to stay in town, because most of them were gonna leave, and get new businesses to come to town. So that's what we were doing. And so we, once again, gets back to family decisions. We as a family decided, well, if that's what the community is gonna do, let's get behind that initiative. And that initiative was called LEAD, Leadership and Energy and Environmental Design. And they wanted to build their buildings to a lead standard. And the highest standard of LEED is platinum. We looked at that, there's never been a dealership or even a John Deere building that we were aware of at the time built with LEED anything. But we talked, even with Deere, got them involved to help behind the, they didn't pay for this, but they got behind the initiative and they wanted to see us do this uh, to a lead platinum design level. So that building was designed with LEED platinum standards in mind so it has some very energy it's really all about energy efficiency is what it really is. So that's what we did and we got to the lead it was tough it was real tough. Uh, we didn't think we could get there for a while. We thought we'd maybe silver or gold or something but we had enough built into there that we got the lead platinum standard and since that time uh, interesting enough Deer has built buildings that are lead at least lead gold if not platinum. Uh, for their own uses. I think it's gold mm. up in uh, Olathe, so they have a, a building up there. So it's it's been a quite a deal on that. But then the community, they have a lot of lead buildings over there. A lot of them are platinum.
3: So the lead process at the time was a big push because of the green initiative across. The U.S. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when they announced they're going to build Greensburg Green in the middle of the Bible Belt, and everybody and their dog came to town because they thought there was a lot of money being funneled through, which there wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, they didn't have a lot of money. But think Leonardo DiCaprio and Discovery and the Kansas City Chiefs and the Gates Foundation and everybody coming in to try to build that back to that initiative is what kind of saved it to at least give it, to at least give it, not saved it, but at least give it an opportunity. And uh, the economy was a wreck. The ag economy wasn't, but the rest of the economy was for quite some time. And so there were a lot of desperate people looking for many and that kind of brought everybody to town and trying to filter through that was kind of a mess, but the reality TV show kind of filtered through a lot of that. We had some really great leadership uh, from the area of rural development come into town and help us. And all of the four-letter words, the FEMA's, the USDA's, the, you could go on and on about all the people that came to help. But uh, uh, for us, you know, it was uh, very humbling to see how many people, how many good people are out there. As far as lead Standard, BTI is, is builds sustainability we do not build lead I, I wouldn't encourage people to go build lead at this time. I would tell them to build sustainable uh, things into their projects because they do work and there's a lot of good products out there that, that you could do but lead is not a, a standard that I would tell them that to look for at this point
2: is it related to the cost of some of those
3: it's in rural areas especially it's kind of lost its luster in rural areas because you have to get your product within 500 mile radius of and you have to weigh it in and weigh it out Uh, there's just way too much uh, red tape when it comes to lead at that time now maybe they've changed uh, to be fair to lead maybe they've changed those standards i haven't kept up with it but there are things that are built into that facility that are built into hoxie in 15 and and pratt in four in 11 we built a whole new facility in pratt uh, so you know and in in buckland a lot of the stuff that was put into those facilities we still do this day and and it really does cut on uh, utilities and expense and
1: and on energy that was actually our first building from the ground up in 75 years we just added on and added on about old so we didn't go build one in that community we had to build one and so and we had to build it under as Kelly said very extenuating circumstances and Greensburg still very very rural so getting any kind of product in there was difficult when you had no facilities in the town so it was was tough but as Kelly indicated and he's right we learned a lot from that that experience and we kind of tried to carry over the things that worked, disregard the things that don't work, carry over the things that worked, put them into our our shops and our buildings, our facilities and so it was a learning experience I would tell you that for sure.
0: We'll get back to the BTI story in a minute but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbsystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of BTI and what Mike and Kelly view as some of the major milestones in the dealership's history and what they see ahead in the dealership's future.
2: Do you remember any of those um, things that didn't work that you're not going to go forward with anymore in other facilities?
1: What do you think? <laughs> yeah, there's there's several. <laughs> well,
3: the bike rack out front probably. Yeah, is not that's a, not the not. the other one. is probably the HVAC, the the system in there that we put in, is surgical air. In other words, it's that quality. We did it basically because of the leadership in the community and the the uh, the trying to to push that lead and green initiative, we voted to spend the extra revenue, but it was closer to, you know, they said 6%, it was closer to 15%. That facility in Greensburg cost us more money to build in in 2009, 17, 17, yeah, 17, in 2009 19, mm-hmm. cost more money. That's a bigger, larger facility in Hoxie, Kansas in 2015 because of lead yeah. there and and not that it was bad it was an an unknown for us you know we were learning as we went do we regret it mm, i don't think we regret it cause, I mean, my brother Mike became the most world famous tour guide <laughs> in Greensburg, Kansas because John Deere was flying people from other countries, dealers from other countries in. Everybody was looking at that initiative, but we were had been experienced enough, Mike had seen enough of it with the lead initiative that we only told them to go back and build what worked. And don't just build it. Mm-hmm. And so we and Deere picked up on that too, and and helped us uh, design that mm-hmm. layout. So mm-hmm. it was a it was a win win all the way around.
1: Yeah, I don't. If you had to do like Kelly said, build lead, no, we wouldn't do that. But we were doing it because basically we felt like people were watching, and we wanted to help the community essentially put. Put that green foot forward, because that if we had a business like ours that could achieve a lead platinum status, it says a lot about your uh, you know your resilience and your willingness to come back into a town that's been totally devastated. So it was kind of like that's okay, let's put our money where our mouth is and we did that but in the process we learned a lot of things like you said did work didn't work skylights aren't the best thing in hail country we learned that so those kinds of things (laughs) you kind of don't do again you know but you but high efficiency lighting works everywhere you know so that's what we've done in all our shops in floor heat works everywhere and you can burn used oil to generate that heat those kinds of things work very well and so I think we did, did pick up a lot of things that uh, we can carry forward on. But yeah, we, I, I agree with Kelly, building to a lead standard in, in a rural area is extremely difficult. I mean, I can't tell you how hard that was to get that platinum. <laughs> it was excruciatingly hard, but because most of that is urban that lead platinum levels and gold. I mean, those are urban things uh, that you can do. A bike rack, like Kelly said, and things that, I, that bike rack's not been used once that I know of. <laughs> and, uh, but we got a point in the lead status for it, so we put it there. But
3: certain things just uh, don't make sense. The facility is very Very adequate. nice. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it does send the right signals, and we, we enjoy the fact that we have that facility. <laughs> and no regrets we we basically ended up having to pay our insurance or our floor plans and all of our companies back and then by taking what little money we had we bought 16 14 days after bought pratt and the rest of the uh deal for greensburg was borrowed at 100 percent. we didn't have any capital to keep moving forward it was just a a blessing it turned out Mm -hmm. so but you know disasters happen all over Mm -hmm. you got to get over them you know you can only live when pain and suffering so long and (laughs) feel sorry for yourself so long and and honestly it's uh where we've been over that and and you know we just hope that other people have learned from the experience that we've been able to relay some of that or the disaster plans or We've had many, many, many dealerships that have had disasters that call us and ask us for advice and we don't mind helping them out if we can. But that part of it's been good, you know, and then our company has been really good to us. Uh, Dears has, opportunities have come up, not that we've taken on all of them. We aren't a dealership that just goes out and buys because we can, like Mike said earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've actually turned down areas of locations because strategically, number one, financially it didn't make sense Or our family, Mm -hmm. the way we want to operate it couldn't be there. Um, You know, we bought out our aunts, we bought out our partners, we really aren't looking to merge and have more partners. It isn't isn't a -hmm. BTI or an Estes or Mm -hmm. our family culture Mm -hmm. to do that, so.
2: So if we look at your 75 years, we've talked about the, the growth through locations, we've, we talked about the major milestones with the uh, tornado. If, what other things come to mind? I'll ask each of you, we'll start with you, Mike. What comes to mind just when you think about your company, or uh, your company, family's company over the 75 years? What, what milestones come to mind?
1: Well, certainly all of the different aspects of the acquisitions of the dealerships as we go, those are milestones all along the way. Um, Myself personally, you know, I spent some time in California. So I'm one of the brothers that has come and gone a little bit. So I've spent 14 years out there in, uh, in basically in a, in a high tech industry. And so I, I came back into the dealership in 92 and after talking with Kelly and Letty and Bud and decided to make that move back in. So and we still had one store because we didn't buy Greensburg till 96. So I came back into a single store. So I've seen the growth through that period, and I was gone for a while, came back, and now we look at it and we say, well, at that time, I remember having conversations with Kelly and Luddy and Bud. What do we want to do? Do we want to grow and go forward, or what do we want to do? And once again, we get back to family. We all decided we want to grow, so we were looking for an opportunity. and. We didn't create that; it it came along. You know, like Kelly said, we were blessed with an opportunity to get Greensburg, and we took that shot, and that changed the dynamics pretty radically. Uh, Kelly, when I was gone in those years, uh, he was basically kind of heading up things with uh, Dad while he was alive in the '80s, but he died in '89, so Kelly was the CEO, but also. Uh, Bud was involved and went through a period of uh, combine sales. Uh, Kelly, he can tell you more about that, but he jumped into combines and basically, I think that saved the company in, in a real sense. I think that they their focus there was, was the right one. It was a ton of work. It was a tremendous challenge for him and the company to do that. I mean, we were selling When I came back we're selling 200 combines out of one location so I mean that's a lot from one location so it's a milestone but we realized that can't continue that can't be our model moving forward so in 92 93 and moving forward we set out as a family to let's change the dynamics here get get on the map with some more locations and see what, where that happens. And it was, those were milestones to me. I mean, those, that's what comes to my mind. And I think just having, uh, getting more family, my sister, Letty, she, our sister, she wasn't in the store. She got in there in the 80s and she was a milestone to get her in there to replace the guy that had retired, uh, Kenneth Carlin. And so all of these adding different people at different times, Jeremy and Kay, and uh, we've got uh, Ron Yancey is a cousin in here and he's been very critical. So the the Yancey family and uh, Brad Estes is Bud's son, he's in here. Uh, we've got so many, you know, to name uh, our wives, Christy and Debbie, Christy's my wife, Debbie's his, are critical. Uh, those to me are milestones because that's family, bringing, bringing family in alongside to support and help one another. So those are good. Um, as I said a while back, uh, we run out of family. So we have to have other milestones. So we brought in a gentleman, uh, when Cody Dick is his name, but he's uh, our great bin store manager. I used to work for John Deere and he is an excellent excellent guy to have as a resource person to come alongside Jeremy and all of us because of his knowledge. Uh, All of our other store managers that we have were kind of milestone guys because we we brought them in as salesmen for the most part and brought them up and those things create things. Probably one of the bigger things that I can think of as a milestone for the dealership in 93 we started the planning meeting Kelly was talking about and we've had it every year since that time. And we take all of our managers and, uh, and our salespeople and our key administrative people off site for a couple of days. And we lay out the processes he was talking about. We lay out the plans. What are we going to do next year? What's some long-term things? What can we going do? That's a milestone, you know? Uh, it's been a real, uh, I think, help for everybody. Kind of sets the stage for the future. So and like I said I was gone for a while so Kelly will have some newer and other experiences you know he can share on that too.
2: What what comes to mind for you?
3: There's several milestones uh, in my mind that my kid on the big one uh the family and the involvement and and the different time frames for which they came in and they've all been a part and they've all contributed in some way throughout all of those processes that we have that have have been significant um you know i think uh, dad getting sick in 87 um, was a big one for me you know i was 30 years old and yeah. and we i'd worked through uh, out of college and moved back and that generation you work mike did this too mm-hmm. and so did bud and you work in the service shop and then you work in parts and then you work in sales and then you, so you learn it from the ground up, that's just how they operated. You didn't go to being manager day one and and then it teaches you what everybody goes through that work there, plus the ground up business, what you do. Uh, you learn to respect what others go through, I think was a big part for me. I do think in, you know, the opportunity that, uh, it gave me with cancer was the fact that if we were gonna, if they wanted me to lead it, which, you know, at that time I said, okay, we'll do that, but we need to have some type of uh, documents that, cause I know they want to be fair and I want to be fair to the family that at that time wasn't there, but came back, <laughs> uh, which was a blessing. Uh, and then uh, the opportunities uh, grew. But by setting up the trust and the documents for succession, for generations, uh, mm-hmm. if if it happened, I mean we're talking in the 80s, and we didn't even know whether it could happen. But we we had a goal uh, when we set it in motion, and and I told them I would take it as long as they set it in motion like that. And Dad wanted to, so it really from the ground up happened. And then just the milestones like mike calling one day after being gone 14 years Mm and wanting to come back and bring in the process that he's talking about that was a process he learned in california that Mm -hmm. i guarantee i wouldn't have the expertise to do and we've uh, we've taken that and molded it and and actually Mm -hmm. developed and have even grown it to a different proportion Mm -hmm. than when it started um you know my wife's uh christy came back with mike mm-hmm. and she started working in admin under letty letty bachelor mm-hmm. our sister is the controller mm-hmm. and then my wife has worked for letty for 30 years mm-hmm. jeremy's worked. my son came back out of college called one day and said hey i'd like to get in the dealerships it wasn't definite he was ever going to do that and he's the successor and the, the place person that's going to replace me and he's been there 20 years. Kay Estes, we tried to hire, that's my daughter-in-law, that's Jeremy's Mm -hmm. wife, and she works for Letty, and she's the assistant to Letty now that's gonna replace her position. We're molding that Mm -hmm. currently, so that's a big milestone that I couldn't have survived. There's no Mm -hmm. way Mike or the Estes family without Kay coming back with her accounting expertise Mm -hmm. to run the business loss for Greensburg, I begged her to come to work before the tornado, but she was happy with her job and she didn't want to change. She saw what had happened to the family and she came right in at the right time. Mm -hmm. And that managed that business loss. Mm -hmm. Um, I've helped a lot of dealerships understand business loss because we didn't understand it Mm -hmm. and how it works. Uh, Ron Yancey, Ron Yancey is our aunt's son that was a, partner she still is a shareholder she's the last survivor of the second generation she's 83 i think mm-hmm. is that right yeah and Jeannie. and that's ron's mom and ron yancey started in service when he was 18 worked through the service shop service manager then we talked him into taking a sales position and currently, Mike, mm-hmm. we made him the manager of the Buckland location. Mm-hmm. So Ron's been here 40 years. Mm-hmm. I've been here 43. Letty bachelor that's our sister downtown. She was selling physical damage insurance. I'm, I'm using these examples because each one of these is a milestone <laughs> for our company. Does mm-hmm. that make sense, mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So Letty Bachelor was working downtown mm-hmm. selling insurance to bowling agency downtown john deere comes out in 86 that says you have to have licensed people to sell physical damage insurance and who obviously would be better than letty red's retiring he started with our grandfather in 44 Mm -hmm. so he's retiring in 86 and i had letty trained by red to be the controller and take over admin so that was a milestone plus she's our, she's a senior VP in our company now and manages all the bad men for all locations. So she's got a big role and Kay is her assistant. So we're molding that. Craig Bowman, that's Letty's son-in-law. He's been here 10 years. He bought my house when I moved to Pratt after the tornado. And he moved back and he was gonna either be a principal or he's a coach and a principal. And, mm-hmm. and he ended up wanting to Uh, get back in the dealership because financially he had enough kids he he just couldn't afford it and we were fortunate to get him hired so there's craig and a fourth generation uh with my son and and brad now brad estes is ml estes's son okay (laughs) okay so brad moved to he's got a degree from KU in uh, sports management, mm-hmm. ended up going to Vegas and, and then called one day and said he wanted to come back. So we were able to get Brad hired into sales and he's been in sales and works as a salesman mm-hmm. yeah, at Buckland location. Recently, mm-hmm. uh, we needed some more admin people. So Brad's wife, Michonne, uh is uh, actually the re- receptionist slash uh, handles like corporate administrative corporate, like all the people like her. She's the
1: receptionist here but she kind of takes care of all the other receptionists. That yeah other make areas. sure
3: that everybody's mm. on the receptionist Location side for the six locations is handled and she's helped a lot immensely with that. And then you, you can't make light of a, a guy that uh, retired started with uh, out of college like mm-hmm. Mike and I and all of us yeah. did and worked 40 two years uh, he did have mayor and farming and, and other outside interests you know yeah. so it, it's why he basically wasn't uh, put in the position that I was but he was instrumental in a lot of key functions that have happened throughout yeah. our dealership yeah. and Bud uh, has since retired he called us one day and said uh, he'd been there 42 years he was at the age of retirement and uh, he said what do you think if I want to become uh, in the House of Representatives, yeah, he yeah. could serve a term. So he took a guy's term, served in the House, served there, and then was elected another term in the House, and then now has recently been elected in the Senate. So he's actually uh, in the Kansas Senate. He's a senator for the state of Kansas, and he's enjoying his retirement years. But he still serves as a trustee on our on our board. Mm-hmm. So we, stru- we have structure, we have a trust board that governs all of this. Mm-hmm. But all of these things that I comment are milestones. And there are a lot of employees that are mm-hmm. milestones that are just, have been just as instrumental in making this successful. Yeah. Key thing I think the Estes family has is open, very open dialogue and communication. Mm-hmm. With a lack, you have to have communication with that much family
2: involved. Mm -hmm. And
3: and believe me, we we do. We do.
2: Over the 75 years as you're you're talking through it, it it looks like there's a mix of of proper and very detailed planning. Some things that have happened maybe by circumstance, (laughs) by luck. looking forward, where does the growth come from? Since you had, you know, you were wanting to be strategic about your locations. Um, there's only so many locations out there. When you look ahead, what part will be planning? What part will be maybe some luck?
1: Well, the yeah, the planning part, <laughs> you can only control what you can control. And the planning, you can, you can pretty much control that. You can control your processes that you put in place for, future. And as I said, we sooner or later you run out of family. So part of our planning is putting people into strategic locations that aren't part of our family because we can't fill those spots. So for instance, uh, our managers at our locations, like the, with, the, with the Cody Dick I mentioned and other managers at the locations, they've been with us a while, but we, we hired them with the thought that this person can probably be a manager someday. And we have a, a process that we go through now, we've put this into place here in the last several years of a, a testing, more or less, to see where, what are the strong suits of this particular individual? And where could they fit into our dealership? Where could we use their talents and their expertise? So we do that even before we hire them. So we do things like that knowing that, okay, we're going to grow and we're going to have people retire. We're going to have people leave. The one thing about this society, it's a very mobile society. So if you don't plan for uh, more people to fill your spots, the other thing is, you know, equipment wise, We also plan a lot. Jeremy's very good at inventory planning for how much that we can sell, because keep in mind for every piece you sell, you've got a lot of trade-ins you're going to sell behind that. So you've got a lot of equipment just moving one piece that you're going to have to move. So you really have to plan that out. And uh, the deer structure is just probably not, not unlike the Case IH and other competitor structure, they kind of look at that and they want you to sell, you know, so many pieces of of this equipment in an area. That's how how it works. But we also look at our aftermarket very strongly and we look at parts and service and where can we get growth in that area? If we're not picking up more dealerships at the time, how do we pick up more business in a parts and service in an aftermarket area? So we spend a lot of time with that. we got a corporate aftermarket you know a team which is mike Davis and, and ryan and that's parts and service and they're looking specifically at those departments and how can they increase sales in and not just sales profitability really like i said we we want to look at the bottom line you you can give product away all day long but if you're not making any money on it what what good does it do you and i'm not talking about a, a an obscene profit just profit so you can stay in business. So we we strategize on that a lot. We have a lot of discussions. We have the internet. We use it a lot. We have these cameras that tie all of our dealerships together. So we have meetings. We don't have to drive. You're right here. You can see all the stores up on the screen and you can hear what, what your counterparts are saying in their communities. So we do that every week so it's it's something you have to do and that's part of the growth I mean it isn't just locations it's what can you maximize out of your area Uh, where can you go up against a competitor and draw something away from him, you know, because it's a competitive business, very competitive business, by the way, and it's getting more so. So those are the things. Now, as far as opportunities down the road, we're always going to be open, but we're not going to do something just because, well, we want to be bigger. We want to, you know, because bigger isn't always better. I think we all know that. You've got to be better at what you're, do really really well what you do you know if you're the best people will come to you and they will come back again and again and again uh, our relationships go way way back with our customers and we're proud of that and we want to keep those relationships you know that's kind of what the way i
3: see it
2: anything that you want to add on this idea of uh, looking forward what bti looks like mm-hmm. Even Uh, 10 years? Mm
3: -hmm. I think we're set for quite a while, no doubt for succession, Mm -hmm. no doubt for management uh, that Jeremy or the successor has hired the majority of those people and put them in place. uh, And a lot of the programs Mike are talking about, you know, uh, to make sure that they're the right people in the right structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, BTI is, is set uh, a lot of different ways um, financially uh, we have put everything we've made since 87 back into our facilities and our locations we we don't have a lot of catastrophic debt uh, out there uh, we're set to purchase whatever makes sense for us not just for our company but for both of us i think I don't know that the mergers and acquisitions and the way things are going, there might be some things happen if the economy doesn't change about other opportunities that can come up around us. But again, just because they do, if financially uh, it doesn't make sense as a company to do that, we probably wouldn't elect to do that.
2: It takes some, some real strength to, to turn down those opportunities.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, it, it does in, in a lot of different instances because of the, the dynamics of the way the manufacturers are r- operating right now, currently. Uh, I've seen that cycle over the years. I've been around a long time. And and I'm not saying it's the wrong uh, way to, to be a manufacturer to handle it, but it, there's always the unforeseen that we've encountered already (laughs) and and we know that uh and we don't wish that on anybody and and if it comes up that's fine and right now truthfully if it didn't uh, we can we can make it work however long we need to make it work Uh, we're not we're kind of in a different situation with having that many counties and that much turf with six locations and not 13. so it, it does it does work in our favor mm-hmm. currently. The other thing is it, when you purchase that many locations and you try to close some locations, because financially in the next 10 years it doesn't work, what does that do in those communities and what kind of signals could it send? You know, there could be a lot of reasons that we're happy we're not had those mergers mm-hmm. and acquisitions. We're not, we're not really... Um, I think we're set for succession for mm-hmm. a long time, whether it's a decade or two decades. I think it's going to be up to this next generation and and our trust board that they're they're answering to our trust board mm-hmm. for the the next mm-hmm. couple generations. They're going to be coming to as long as we're around or that, and that trust board will be around because there'll be successors on the trust board as well. So I think um, if the right opportunities come up, you bet we're we're set, we're financially set to do it. Uh, and if the good Lord wants us to have an opportunity, I guess they will. Um, we do like our company. I mean, we couldn't talk good enough about John Deere and what they've been able to, to do for the Estes family. Um, and uh, it's just amazing some of the things that they've done. Um, sure, there's always things that that we wished uh, we could have got, should have, would have, could have. But who can't say that in anything? You know, it's just sometimes the opportunities do come your way, and sometimes they don't.
2: Well, we've covered a lot of ground here. I, I did have just a couple, um, just a couple uh, roll equipment type questions uh, for. For my magazine, but is there anything about you know your seventy fifth? Anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to to share?
3: Um, our seventy fifth uh, was really special, and and we did so many different things. And I, I give Carly uh, Frederick, our marketing uh, gal, all a lot of credit. And then we put together; she put together with us a plan for each celebration at each location. And we had anywhere from 400 to to 550 at each location. We fed them all. We made it a family deal on a Saturday, each Saturday. Uh, And by doing so, we got a lot of the kids there. She had events, they had races with gators around, uh, in the buildings, Uh, gator races inside the building. Uh, They had prizes. Uh, it was it was a family time, mm-hmm. and it, it, she made it real special. The other thing we did is by pulling all the managers in, uh, we actually gave a, the use of a tractor and a loader for 250 hours for a complete year at every location. So there was a drawing at every place, and they they saw that and they registered. Uh, you know, for six months they were registering in those locations to try to stir up the excitement about our customer appreciation days. So I think the, the 75th was spot on to what we needed to She developed a logo, a 75th logo. We've got them out there, we've got them posted. Uh, we put them on our, our cups and our hats. And I mean, it just couldn't have been a better day uh, at each location. and, and I don't know about Mike. I couldn't attend them all. I don't know if Mike did. Uh, It was kind of, we always made sure that we were there. Some of us were there, but during that time it was a little tough to get us all there. But the Buckland location, we did have uh, all of us uh, present for that. Mm -hmm. And the memorabilia and all the pictures and all the history and all the generations of customers coming in uh, was Mm -hmm. just a, I think a pretty special time. Was. but mike what do you think
1: no i think you're dead on right um, we did kind of emphasize the buckle location i believe last it was because it was the original location you know that's kind of the headquarters so we did that and uh, john deere came out and recognized us at that uh particular site with a with a plaque and with mm-hmm. with uh, oh. this recognition so that was really neat Uh, Also, recently, uh, we're a member of the Western Equipment Dealers Association up in Kansas City is where we go for a lot of our meetings, but they're all over. But anyway, Granddad was a member of that, and first year he was a dealer. And that was was hardware and implement dealers at the time. But uh, we're still a member, and they came out and gave us an award here about a month ago or so uh, and recognized us for that. They said that there's very, very few 75 year dealers out there. A lot of 50s, but 75, that's a pretty big milestone for them. So they send a, a representative out with that to present that and post that. So. We're, we're very glad we could make it that long. You know, most businesses and family businesses fail very quickly within the first several years, for sure. You know, within ten years, are probably gone. So, seventy-five years is a, is a pretty good milestone. We're that's something to to say we're proud of for sure.
3: The dealer number. Our dealer number is D L R 16 and as far as I know, the. I think we're one of the oldest, because there was only one other one that was like 13, and it went out about five years ago. So mm-hmm. I think we're one of the older dealer numbers in the branch, yep. in the Kansas City branch anyway. I'm sure there's older dealers in the country. But
2: so. now, when you when you come into work every day, uh, you know, you have a lot of your daily things. Do you have this, do you feel a sense of history every day when you come in,
1: or you do? <laughs> I do, for you sure, I think, you know, yeah. you kind of have to, uh, and, and the pictures, you know, that brings it back to you, too, you know, with that. We do have a picture of Grandpa at that meeting back in 45. The slogan was "40 uh, stay alive in 45 or something like yeah, that. Stay oh, alive in 45. <laughs> it was like, it was quite, but at that dealer meeting, he was sitting there back at the table. So, uh, you know, that's pretty good, pretty neat that a family can stay in business for that period of time. I think Grandpa and Dad would be quite shocked to see what we've done. Maybe mad at us. I don't know. <laughs> but it's like it is an interesting thing uh, to carry on a tradition. You know.
3: I think there's a lot of challenges ahead of us, uh, no doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, the the internet uh, is a, is a big one. The broadband is a big one. The the production ag is a big one. There's a lot of really good opportunities there in all of that that I just said. Uh, you just have to look for the opportunities, uh, and I think I think we're positioned to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I, I don't know what could hold us back. Of course, uh, you say that, and then that's when it happens. Mm-hmm. But I feel really good <laughs> about about where BTI is. Uh, I feel really good about our people, uh, our customers. I just think, really, mm-hmm. we're we're pretty fortunate to be where we're at.
1: And our slogan at our planning meeting this this year was "Power of the Past, Force of the Future," because it's our seventy-fifth. But the future calls, and it's going to be different. It'll it's going to push things along quite rapidly. You know, we we see things moving very fast, but we want to stay on that cutting edge, and uh, that's one thing we recognize we need to do.
3: Mm. You know. In those breakouts, of what better people to figure this out than all of our our managers and all our people that we have in our positions to help us do that? Mm-hmm. We we can't do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Very good. Well, that was I really appreciate all the anecdotes that you shared mm-hmm. as well, and and I, I wanted to ask. You know, we've talked a lot of produ- about production agriculture, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with technology and. Um, but you said with uh, with Pratt, there's now some opportunities within the uh, real equipment, real lifestyle uh, market. Mm-hmm. So, can you talk about what impact that is happening on your dealership now?
1: Well, from our standpoint, of course, we're the we're the older generation, been around a while, and we were primarily grew up in the ag situation. But you know, Deer started to recognize this, uh, you know, basically business to customer B two C kind of relationship. <coughs> Early on, I mean, we've had uh, the small riding tractors for decades, and then they even had lawn mowers and they had chainsaws, so they started to recognize this rural lifestyle is is here, or it's coming strong way back when, okay? This was back in the 60s, at least, when they started doing all this. But it's moved forward and been propelled a lot by those kind of uh, rural lifestyle customers that we now have. And with the addition of Pratt and Great Bend, the only thing that's given us is a broader reach into that market. You know, all of us, all of our stores have this to some degree or another. We all sell the, the the small tractors, the loaders, the mowers, the steel products, and um and so we recognize that, but it's it's a little bit of a different sell than the the farmer ag customer. 'Cause they're they're pretty much business to business. They are we're selling to a business and they shop a little differently, quite frankly, a lot differently sometimes. And they, they know what they want. They know that we deliver that product and they want to talk to a salesperson, they want and their own personal salesperson and for the most part. They want to deal on a personal level like that, and that's how they shop. And that's that's how we sell to them for years. But now we've got customers that are that are looking at things differently, shopping differently. Uh, Yeah, they still shop online, but you've got to have some kind of in-store relationship with these people. They want to see, and in a lot of cases, most cases demo the products. Um, They do in the large ag too, but a lot of the large ag customers kind of pretty well follow that, but now you've got to demonstrate to the other customer. And they want service. They want to know that if they buy something, we're there to take care of them. So we've had to emphasize that. I think part of the reason we have such large showrooms, you commented on the one you went in down there, how, You know that was a remodel, is there, we're trying to reach those kind of customers as well. And they like to come in and see things. And the products are displayed nicely. Our steel products have their own racks and uh, lawnmowers and everything in its play. We sell a lot of products like that. And so it's a different customer. It's a valuable one. There's more of them at bigger towns because they've got acreage out there. Uh, you've got that, uh, you know, like that farmer, uh, I'd say it's he's a part-time, you know, he's a businessman, but he's got a small farm and he's doing some of that kind of lifestyle stuff. We want to sell to those people. We really do. We want to service them. They are a customer and we have products that fill the niche. Uh, Kelly indicated that we gave away those small tractors at the stores. That's part of the reason we do that, to kind of look at that, more, look at what we've got because for so long we didn't emphasize that. The small tractors were, you know, the foreign tractors that they always saw them as the cheaper. John Deere has done a lot with their products to hit that market. So John Deere's pushing this pretty hard and we are too. And we want that, we want to serve that market. So
3: what would- I think a lot of the, a lot of those type of buyers uh, do shop a lot online. Uh, They do a lot of internet buying which we have to be sure and be ready for Mm -hmm. that and, and provide those services via, if they don't want to come in that we can do it with the internet or, Smartphones or all kinds of different technologies. I do think the broadband is a big thing for mm-hmm. rural areas. Um, for for like J.D. Link, uh, you know, if they if they and they have been building it into some of the smaller products for service uh, for those suburbanites or those areas you're talking about on the smaller equipment that they can know that we're monitoring it and we will take care of their needs. I think is is huge, and I think John Deere uh, has has recognized that. You know, for BTI, you know, maybe those opportunities will come up in those uh, cities or those bigger areas. Not that we don't have it, because we are in some communities that we've been able to implement and be successful in the small uh, arena, small ag arena. And and we're going to continue to strive to do better and do more. Um, I do, I, I am impressed with our company, the fact that so much money goes to R&R, uh, that they keep developing better products and processes that I think will uh, propel us even further. So. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you talked about loyalty, which was so important to your growth in serving production agriculture. Do you think that there's lo- loyalty there with it, within this market or can you build some loyalty?
1: I think it's able to be built upon. It's pro- it's going to be somewhat harder because they, they, as I said, they shop differently and they, they look at things differently than a, a long-term customer that knows us very well. But in a small town, I think yes, for sure. Uh, I think you can build that. Uh, and hopefully we can build as much. A, a lot of it depends on... As I said earlier, you can't, you've got to earn people's business. Uh, you can't demand it. And just because you're in a small town, you can't say you got to buy from me because I live here. That, that's, that doesn't fly. You've got, they don't have to buy from you in any shape or form. You have to show them why they should buy from you instead of the other guy down the street or in another town. A lot of times it's another community. We're a small town, Dodge City's close, other you know, bigger town, Garden City, you name it, they've got bigger towns around. So what keeps them from going there? uh, you, You hope you can build some degree of loyalty. A lot of it is having the right product for them or at least letting them know we can get it, we can get what you need. Let us, you know, but it's hard cause you don't really have the same salesman every time, you know, for that, you, not always, but uh, it's just loyalty in that market is a little tough, but we don't want them to go to Home Depot, but you know, we'd rather sell them the product here. And if they know we have got a really good tech that can fix that thing, they'll probably buy here. I mean, the probabilities increase, so. We hope we can build some of that. We really do.
3: I think we've built some of it already. Uh, but I do believe, you know, future technologies could help drive <clears throat> more of that our way. We just got to be uh, able and ready to implement what it might take to to be successful in that. Um, and I don't know, you know, if somebody knows you care about them enough that, you're watching uh, their equipment. Uh, something if their filter on their mower is plugged up, and you can actually tell them before the engine blows. You know, maybe you ought to have a service it. There's not a lot of other companies that have that technology mm-hmm. that could drive that, and that's kind of what I was referring to. I I don't know I don't know what creates loyalty in today's world uh, necessarily, <laughs> uh, but you'd like to yeah. think the majority of the people. Uh, that you wanna do business with, would appreciate that and do that. Mm-hmm. If it's all about bottom line and price, you know, it's probably not gonna be a successful company uh, in the long thick of things, regardless mm-hmm. of what company that is. Because mm-hmm. if they're there today, just buying business and putting it out there, doesn't mean it's gonna stay. Mm-hmm. So, I uh, that makes Ooh. sense?
0: Thanks so much to Mike and Kelly Estes for taking the time to sit down and share their story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the new series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lestermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this conversation with Mike and Kelly Estes. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story podcast.